Hey folks, Ryan Kennedy here. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm joined here by my good friend, Matt Cook. Uh, I met Matt a few years back, last trip I made here to Bali, Indonesia, while I was running a wellness retreat here at the Astana. And uh, Matt and I hit it off. He's a great dude. It's really a crime against humanity, bro, that we live on opposite sides of the planet and when we aren't able to hang more often. But we've gotten some good time in together. We were able to get out for a surf uh, about last, you know, about a week ago. And uh, yeah, I wanted to jam with you on talking about a couple companies you built, um, talk about water and some of the uh, things you're doing in that space, uh, as well as the fermentation, kombucha, gut health space, and a bunch of other topics. So, dude, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Ryan. It's a pleasure to be here with you. And uh, yeah, like you said, it's, uh, it's a shame that we can't spend more time together, but it's, it's really nice to have you in Bali. Yeah, man, it's been good. So uh, let's start at the beginning, bro. You know, I think you told me you were raised in California, mm. and then you've lived in all sorts of different countries and spent a lot of time the past decade or so here in Asia. Mm. Mm. Uh, so walk people through, you know, what, what that journey's been like. Yeah, it's been wild. So I, I was born in Newport Beach, California, spent a couple years there and, and then moved up to the Bay Area. Um, that's where I kind of went to, to grade school mm-hmm. all the way up until, uh, let's say, eighth grade. So the freshman year of high school, that transition is when I moved with the family to Hong Kong. Okay. So at the time, you know, you just followed the family, right? I didn't know that dad was taking us to Hong Kong for some entrepreneurial venture and really what that meant. You know, there's a lot of risk involved with starting new businesses. And so the whole family moved with him at the time to, uh, to Hong Kong and he launched a business there. And that's when I started high school. And, you know, Hong Kong was a, was a wild place during those days. It was, the, it was still the, under the British rule. So actually people look back on those days that Hong Kong was a, it was a magical era, they say. Um, with, uh, with, with everything, really. Uh, yeah, yeah, Hong Kong is a, is a very interesting place. I don't know if you've ever been. Never been, dude, but that's a wild time to move across the world. Yeah. How was it? Speaking, you, I imagine you just spoke English, right? It was amazing, actually. You know, I was actually a little bit more ready for it than I thought, than I, than I would have been if I hadn't lived in Japan for a year in okay. 1991. Okay. So, like, I was in, Jap- I was in uh, what, California going to school, and we moved in um, fifth grade year to, to uh, Japan, Tokyo. So I was there for one year. My sister was born there, and then we moved back to California. I finished eighth grade, and then we moved to Hong Kong. Oh, wow. So I was already kind of, you know, excited about Asian cities, mm-hmm. and, I, and I had been to Hong Kong one time on a trip. Mm-hmm. And I was like, we're moving to Hong Kong? Wow, it's like Gotham City. It's yeah. pretty cool. So yeah. I was excited to move, but then at the time I had a girlfriend oh, that I was man. in love with. Oh, no. Eighth grade girlfriend, <laughs> broke each other's heart, leaving, I think, my phone bill. Before cell phones were a thing, right? Yeah. My phone bill from Hong Kong back to California that summer between eighth grade and freshman year was massive. I got oh. in a lot of trouble, that's for sure. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> eighth grade love. Well, uh, dude, well, how was high school there? Was it similar high school to the States? Like, do they teach in English and do you learn the similar curriculum and everything? Yeah. So I went to what would be considered the American school in Hong Kong. It's called the Hong Kong International School, HKIS. Okay. So, yeah, it was, it was a great school. And, uh, you know, we got a great education there, yeah. Nice, nice. And then your dad, you told me a little bit about this, but I thought it was awesome. What was the name of the company that he started when you guys moved out there? Yeah, my father originally was doing work in California. Uh, He was what they call a basic trainer for a company called LifeSpring. Uh, LifeSpring and and other companies like Arc, they do this, uh, you know, personal development, transformational work. Mm -hmm. And he was one of the facilitators, the the trainers, they call it, of a – of the basic training, and then there's a series of different trainings. He and one of his partners and best friend decided to move to Hong Kong and, and use what they had been teaching to create their own uh, format uh, that was K-12 
catered and tailored for the Asian market and mm -hmm. Asian, um, you know, kind of uh, and Asian individuals and what they deal with in life. Mm -hmm. um, so they started a company called Asia Works, and that was based out of Hong Kong. And Asia Works expanded over the years throughout Southeast Asia uh, to a number of different cities, you know, Taipei, Taipei Jakarta, um, KL, and so on. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. He was like an OG in that in that space. Total OG. Like, Great guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, changed a lot of people's lives. And yeah. you know, when he ended up passing away, it was a it was a beautiful thing to see how many people were, you know, kind of giving him, I guess, uh, honor. Yeah. And did he raise you and your siblings under a lot of these kind of mindset principles that you hear from, you know, Jim Rome type personal development experts? Mm, I would say it was very passive, right? It was more, uh, you know, through being who he was, it kind of, you know, passively affected us. It mm -hmm. was never like he was the, the teacher saying you need to live this way or that way. But I think that hanging out, uh, you know, as a child around his peers, always other, you know, facilitators and trainers, uh, very inspiring people, you know, you had a, a great uh, group of mentors. Got it. Yeah. Got it. And then after you finished high school in Hong Kong, did you pursue university there? Or yeah. what was the next step for you? So I went to university in Boston. Oh, okay. Yeah, Northeastern University. Nice. That's where I studied business. Okay. And, uh, yeah, so my parents were still in Hong Kong, and I went back to, to school in Boston. Mm -hmm. And that's where, where I graduated there uh, in, uh, let's say, 2004 or five, and then moved back to California, where actually I started my first business while I was in business school, you know, thinking that I was a big businessman, mm -hmm. uh, started my first uh, import-export business out of Indonesia, actually. Oh, wow. So we'd already been coming to Bali for a while, mm -hmm. and I uh, decided that with my partner at the time, we wanted to get into the, the manufacturing field of, of home decor and uh, high-end furniture for the luxury market. So we were, uh, were importing our own designs and having different uh, handicraftmen and, and carvers and, and kind of uh, worksmiths um, create furniture and other types of products that we would bring oh, wow. to, to Southern California, where we had an office and a warehouse. And we were traveling around east to west, um, you know, doing all the trade shows and selling all kinds of products to, uh, to the industry. Yeah. It's Exciting like, times. Yeah, man. It's yeah. like uh, you, were, you were ahead of the, the whole, like, industry of drop shipping and, like, kind of getting these products in and then, you know, reselling them. It was the it was beginning like, of all the drop shipping. Yeah. Exactly. It was like it was, yeah. like, right at the forefront Absolutely. before that became, like, popularized with Amazon and all sure. these other yep. platforms. Yep. That's awesome. And so... Uh, what happened with that? Because you didn't stay in California, so you just... So the, what happened with that is that I ran that business for about four years with my partner, mm -hmm. and I realized that I was the guy that was in California in an office doing all of this more, more or less kind of corporate-style work. Mm -hmm. And my parents and family were back in, in Asia, right? And I had grown up kind of there, and I was really missing being in Asia. And, and I loved manufacturing and got a lot of great experience in the import-export manufacturing field. But I really, at the time, everything was being made in China. So we were making wood products in Indonesia, and I felt like there was more growth to be done and more opportunities to be explored. So I decided to sell my shares to my, my partner at the time, mm -hmm. who actually was my uncle. Okay. And, and then I came back to Hong Kong and kind of regrouped, and then I knew I had my sights on China. So I went over the border. I don't know if you've been to Hong Kong, but you can just cross the border from Hong Kong, where I was based, where my family was, into China in like an hour and just go into the, the factory zones and explore. So I went right into to identify an opportunity in the surfboard industry. So I started to work within the manufacturing field of, uh, of, of blanks, foam blanks, 
and and all kinds of action sports uh, products. Oh, so, cool, man! Yeah, yeah. And then you ran that for a number of years. Yeah, that's. I was in China for about eight, eight, nine years. So that was more or less from 2007 until 2015, really. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, industry I absolutely love as a yeah. <laughs> avid surfer and someone who's into action sports. That's that's awesome. Man. I actually lived in a in a surfboard factory. So I was a oh, wow. I was a manager in a um, surfboard a, a foam blank blowing facility, mm -hmm. and I was training the, the the team how to QC glue up blank glue ups rockers and, and all just making sure that the overseas customers in California Hawaii were getting you know high quality product. Yeah. And even coming to San Diego and doing the the surf expo mm. uh, on behalf of our the manufacturers that I was re representing, and so that kind of moved forward into being able to have a, a sourcing office in China and then get into other different realms within manufacturing. So after that, uh, that period, I started to you know, explore the rest of China and all the different types of manufacturing options they have. China is like a candy store for people that are you know, trading, right? So, mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's changed quite a bit as far as the lay of the land and sure. the politics, but at the yeah. time, Alibaba was something that was just getting started. So all the foreigners overseas you know, they really weren't used to that way of doing business, and mm -hmm. there was not a lot of trust there, of course. There still probably isn't, but uh, you know, being in China was, was definitely a strategic advantage, and people that you knew wanted to work with you and still do because you, know, you have boots on the ground and they can trust you, right? Yeah, yeah. So a lot of times people would, uh, you know, they try and get the best price, and then they go somewhere else and they think they can work direct, and then later on they find out that, okay, I should have gone with, with an agent or somebody that could help them. And that's when we <clears throat> that's when we got great customers that had already had experiences that, you know, they needed so, uh, problem solved. Gotcha. Yeah. And then what ultimately drew you to, to Bali? So yeah, it's a good good point. Um, good question actually. Um, so I was working in China, making money, mm -hmm. and spending everything I had, mm -hmm. just living. Like I said, I, I was living in the future, right? So I was visiting my parents in Bali twice a year at best. They had moved from Hong Kong to Bali. And so I had to go visit them if I wanted to see them in Bali. And every time I would visit them, I would come here and enjoy, you know, party and see the family and enjoy kind of just the luxury life of Bali. But I noticed that my father was getting a little bit different, like little subtleties, mm -hmm. right? Like he would have a, a stutter or something or, you know, he'd sound like maybe he slurred a word. Yeah. But everything else was okay. And then slowly but surely, you know, I started talking to my family and like, did you see that in dad? And then we had a little private meeting, and yeah, we saw that, and maybe it's something neurological. Mm -hmm. And so he ended up getting tested in Australia and diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. So that changed everything. It was now it was like, okay, what what is what is happening? This yeah. is uh, this is unexpected, and this is uh, very scary. And so you know, I was always living in the future, like if and when I have this, then I'll spend more time with the family. The then I'll go do this, see. right? Yep. If when, yep. if then. And so, um, long story short, is that my dad continued to de de deteriorate to to a point where um, it was it was apparent that if I didn't do something drastic at the time, I would lose uh, you know a significant portion of his life that was really important. Yeah. So, I decided to move with my girlfriend at the time, Asami, um, who's Chinese, living in China, to to Bali, uh, and that was eight years ago, 2015, uh, to really be close to the family mm -hmm. and focus on trying to, to save and, and help my father with my mother and, and my sister was in Melbourne at the time. She came when she could 
Um, but we really decided to you know, dig in and see how we could help him. Um, obviously, he was very uh, set on kind of allopathic medicine. Uh, he's a, you know, he comes from a, the baby boomer era, and, sure. and a lot of times you know, they're, they're not as um, willing to accept alternative ways. Yeah. Luckily, I have a mother that is a, is a yoga instructor, uh, so she's always been kind of my guiding force since a young age to, to be healthy because mm -hmm. she always lived a, a vegetarian or pescatarian life since she was, since she was uh, pregnant with me. And then, you know, throughout my life, she was always, you know, kind of teaching me how to, how to eat healthy mm -hmm. and how, to, how I shouldn't be drinking sugar or eating sugar. And I was always fighting that. Yeah. Um, you know, I was probably one of the guys in, in school that had trauma because my parents wouldn't let me have the sugary cereal yeah. <laughs> and all the other things that, you know, all the other kids had, yeah. right? Yeah. So, but looking back, very grateful for, for my mother being a, a pillar and, and really putting her foot down and being sometimes frowned upon or made fun of for being so, you know, woo-woo or extreme, sure. you know, with her health. Yeah, back then, it's crazy to see the way the tide has shifted, man, mm. because back then, rewind 10, 15, 20 years ago, and then you know, anything beyond that, mm. if you were into health, mm. you were called the health nut. It was a derogatory term. Absolutely. It was like, you're a crazy person. Mm. And now I feel like health is becoming cool. Mm -hmm. Like people are really, there. like the whole biohacking movements and all these different health modalities, whether it be sauna and cold plunge and mm. getting some sunshine and staying fit and all these things. Like even in younger populations, like high school kids will reach out to me and like think I'm, I'm cool for what I do. Totally. Whereas back in the 90s and early 2000s, it was like the exact opposite. Mm. So it's really cool to see that shift in our society. Absolutely. And how people are gravitating towards like, yeah, going out drinking, staying up late, partying. That's not, that's not cool anymore. It's not cool anymore. Now and the I, cool thing is like going to bed early, getting your workout in, getting a good sweat. I you love know? that. It's awesome. Dude. Yeah. I wish it was cool when I was young. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But luckily, like, like what I was saying is my mother was there in, that, in those times so that I had that knowledge in me that I could fall back on when mm. I was ready for it. Yeah. But there was a period of time, right, until, you know, dad got sick, really, that I wasn't practicing any of that stuff that I really, I mean, I knew how to eat healthy, but I wasn't always living by what I knew was right. Yeah. And then it took this extreme situation with my father literally on the, on the face of, you know, kind of dying yeah. to, to really get switched on mm -hmm. in that, like, that kind of, like, understanding of, this is when epigenetics was really being talked about for the first time and understanding that we have so much more control than we think we do. Absolutely. Right? And, and that if we, if we start now, you know, you can, even if you have predispositions or any types of, you know, genetic things going on, you still have the power to dictate how your genes get expressed. Yep. And so for me, with a dad that passed away from a neurological disease, neurodegenerative disease, and a grandfather that passed away from ALS and mm -hmm. Alzheimer's, mm -hmm my grandmother from ALS. So I'm pretty much doomed, right? Oh. Yeah. So, but yeah. according to the theory of epigenetics, yep. and, you know, we can, we can change our environmental factors That's right. that help us, you know, obviously express our genes in the, the best possible way, right? Yeah, if you look at the, doc, the work of Dr. Bruce Lipton, who's yeah, you know, a pioneer in this, yeah. it really does show, go to show like you do have control of your destiny. Yeah. It's not like you're just doomed and you have this predetermined fate and yep. you're bound to get sick and get ill mm. i think we really do have you know a lot of power in that sure. and even many types of, of cancer have been shown to be uh, 90 percent over 90 percent due to lifestyle diet environmental factors 
uh, less than 10% mm. actually genetics. Mm. So Absolutely. it really does have uh, a big thing. And back eight, eight years ago or so when this was going on, mm. was that your mindset? Yes. Were you just automatically like, this is healable and this is, you know, something I can avoid? Or were you like, man, this sucks. This is just bad luck. This just happens to people and that's that. No, I mean, I think that through my dad um, continuously deteriorating and me going deeper into trying to understand why this was happening mm -hmm. and how I can prevent it in myself and how I can, you know, help uh, reverse what he had. Yeah. It was, you know, gut, like I said, epigenetics. Bruce was a big part of it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the whole uh, gut health uh, movement was just starting as well with the yeah. microbiome becoming very important. And I started to go deep into fermentation at the house. And really, but you weren't having any gut issues? This was an attempt to help your dad mostly? Yeah, I mean, it was an attempt to help my dad and optimize the family, yeah, right? Yeah. And so that was, you know, fer fermentation was a big part of that, everything. I was, I was a fermenter. I yeah. was like the guy <laughs> with the apron on in the kitchen yeah. at home. Yo, check this out. Yeah, you know, yeah. I just made this. And like, yo, get away from me. <laughs> but uh, everything from fermented vegetables to coconut products to you name it. You know, like I think it was, um, what's his name? Um, uh, Sander Klein, is it called? Uh, he was the, the fermentation specialist at the time. Okay. Uh, Sander Katz. Katz, okay. And so there's a big Bible that he wrote. But uh, so started to, to really ferment a lot of different things and understand how, you know, the microbiome was, was so critical to the, you know, the gut-brain connection through the vagus nerve and, and how we can really uh, improve our mental health mm -hmm. in so many different ways uh, through, you know, fortifying our, our, our microflora. Right? Yeah. Um, and so... Yeah, there's a lot of other uh, books that I was reading at the time um, that really were influential. Uh, and so I think that there was a, um, I'm just trying to think, the, the, the gut, the other brain. Um, I, I'll, I'll think of a few books, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, and this was early in the space, man. Yeah, yeah. Relatively. Yeah. Like, because I feel the studies and just overall awareness mm. of the importance of the mm. microbiome really started to get traction maybe mm. three or four years ago. Yeah, you know, right. it wasn't quite as prevalent yeah. that people were talking about mm. this, people understood this. Mm. Today, like people mm. just say the word and they understand like, yeah, yeah. that means your gut health yeah. and that like is important. It took a while. You know, it's pretty common knowledge now, whereas back five plus years ago, yeah. if you said microbiome, more than half people wouldn't even know what you're talking about. Yeah. Like, what, what the hell is that? Yeah. So that's pretty awesome. You I mean, so there's early. doctors like uh, Dr. Gundry and uh, the lectin yeah. craze, right? Yeah. And there was the... the there was uh, a lot of early pioneers for sure. Right. Pulmutter. Yeah. 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 A lot of early pioneers that were talking about this for decades. Yeah. But I just don't think it was as... It was nothing like it is today. Mm -hmm. So so at what point as you're just, you know, alchemy, Matt, you know, concocting your own, um, you know, fermented special recipes did yeah. you say hey i want to actually turn this into a business so what happened is i was you know i was very into you know fermentation fasting just experimenting with all the things that were going on at the time intermittent yeah. fasting before it really kind of got overly popular yeah um and part of that was obviously ketogenic diet that, that really was being introduced at the time and and understanding what worked for me best and and i think that first and foremost it was the time where I was eliminating sugar from my diet, yeah. right? And that was like number one, right? Mm -hmm. Because I already knew that all my life, yep. right? And then it was like, okay, now it's time to really do it. Yeah. And especially liquid sugar, right? Yeah. You know, overly ripe fruits, the whole nine, right? Yep. And so every time I would go out of the house, I would go to health food stores. I won't mention any names, but you would buy these healthy drinks that were just uh, basically sugary drinks disguised as health drinks. That's right. Right? And so I'd pick up a kombucha or something, mm -hmm. 
when I had been doing all kinds of great things at home to kind of protect myself and then I kind of opened my, my, my force field or, or my, my shield to this health food store and I drank this sugary drink and I basically couldn't even drink it, right? So I went back to the drawing board and made sure that I was going to create you know, a kombucha mm -hmm. first and foremost that I could drink, that my family would drink, that I, well, I would give to my family and I would have approved that they would drink. Yeah. So the important thing was you know, making a, a kombucha for me uh, that was, that was sugar-free. Yeah. So I would ferment the kombucha until a point when it was basically vinegar. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a, vin a vinegary kombucha, and it, it would be extremely low in sugar, and you have all the health benefits of the vinegar. Yeah. Right? So why do people drink apple cider vinegar, and, you know, white vinegar is great for you? It's detoxifying. There's, there's no, it's undisputed whether you talk about the yeast or the, the different uh, 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 probiotics. Um, the, there's no... Uh, disputing whether vinegar is healthy for you in certain doses. Sure. And, you know, it alkalizes your blood and, and yeah. detoxifies your liver. So we decided to make a truly healthy kombucha, and we started to introduce that to the yoga community. My mother is a, is a yoga teacher, as you know, mm -hmm. and we, at the time we would have these secret um, yoga sessions going on at our home studio mm -hmm. where the community and her, her, her students would come in different days of the week. They'd go in the back, and, and she'd teach them yoga. And I would be ready for them to come out and I would give them, you know, they would actually, they started buying product from us, you know, uh, at the time from me. Yeah. And um, sure, sure enough, people liked the product enough that, and we decided to make a brand out of it. But I had already been thinking about, okay, we should probably create a brand, you know, playing around with different designs, the logos, all that stuff, right? But um, really was really focused on my dad at the time. So it was trying to balance the plans of a new business, but also focusing on him. And it was, excuse me, it wasn't until he passed away that uh, I was able to fully focus on that business. Mm -hmm. And then that was when we really took it to the next level and got a commercial facility and uh, set it up so that we could be approved by all the, you know, the, the regulators here. Yeah. And um, that's when we incorporated rainwater harvesting. So our business now is a, is a sustainable beverage company that produces a variety of different brands. Uh, Core Culture Lab, which is the first brand we started around gut health and mm -hmm. fermentation. Um, but now we have a, a couple different brands that Bali Rainwater is the, the production umbrella produces. And we use rainwater to, to produce all of our drinks. So it's a, it's a health-driven, sustainable business that hopes to raise awareness for, um, for, for the water crisis in Bali, but also how you can use sustainable techniques in everyday businesses, and also uh, how we can influence the, the masses to, to drink less sugar. Yeah, that's incredible, man. Mm. Absolutely incredible. And so uh, when it comes to the rainwater, I mean, I got a, one of the days we hung out, mm. you gave me a nice tour of your, of your property, mm. uh, your personal residence. Mm. And I thought I had a compound. <laughs> Matt has a compound. <laughs> this place is dope. And you show me this, this water capturing tank yeah. that you guys built. Yeah that is just like this underground tank mm. that just catches all the rainwater from your property mm -hmm. that you use to water your vegetable garden, mm -hmm. which I thought was just epic, dude. Yep. Absolutely epic. So it was really impressive what you built just for your own personal use. So when it comes to the commercial side, what mm. you guys are doing for the company, how does that work? Like, Do you have an <clears throat> acreage somewhere here in Bali that just has these collection containers? Mm. 
So at the house, yeah, and since you've been there last, the, the garden is really looking good now. Nice. Uh, yeah, so we're, we're, we're eating a bunch of great uh, green vegetables that have just kind Beautiful. of become ready to harvest. And uh, yeah, the rainwater system there is very different than the rainwater system I would imagine. At, at our facility. And yeah. uh, that's more for um, irrigation of, of the garden. So yeah. you don't need as much filtration. Uh, and also even the roof, the surface of the roof and everything like that. Uh, you don't need the same kind of standards sure. uh, because it's going right into the soil. Yeah, you're right? not drinking it. But for our production facility, we have um, a series of filtration steps and even like everything from the roof material that we use, right? That's so it's actually on a, a structure? Is this, is this like So our production facility is our rainwater harvesting facility. Okay. So, so the roof all, of the warehouse or whatever the roof, building Yeah, is. it all starts with the, the, you know, your surroundings, making sure that there's no trees and things like that overhanging you know your your catchment system yep and then you want to have make sure you want to make sure you have food grade or or very clean uh, materials that don't uh, degrade mm -hmm. um uh, to to have the, the the surface be for for the, for the harvesting okay got it so yeah our facility for example has a metal roof okay it's a it's a food grade metal roof and then the water would go into a gutter that has a grate on it and then mm -hmm. it goes into a vortex filter and that basically filters out any type of small particulate that might might be, uh, you know, coming off of the, the roof or dust or things like this. Yep. Then that goes into a food grade holding tank system. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then on demand, which is already very clean. Okay. We even tested at that stage. And then on demand, as we need it for our production, we pump that in through uh, a series of different filters. Okay. Everything from carbon sand, sediment filters of different degrees, microns. Mm -hmm. And then we have a UV filter and even an ozone filter. Amazing. And so that pumps into our, uh, our production facility, and then that's when we produce all of our, our beverages. Oh, um, that's incredible. We actually have to boil the water for some of our, our beverages, um, but it's not necessary. We, we love the water just uh, you know, as it is, as it's coming out of the system. And that's why we actually have a, a product line now called Bali Rain. And that is sparkling and still water. Yeah, which in is a excellent, can. by the way. Thanks. We've been yeah. drinking some of it here. Cool. It's yeah, fantastic. we sell it here. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, one thing that uh, comes to mind as you talk through this that I want to talk with you more about mm. that might be a cool addition. Mm. I don't know how much research you've done into this topic, but to actually get a glass vortex structuring unit mm. to structure the water. Mm -hmm. Because, uh, the, I mean, just the research on structured water, if you look at the work of Dr. Gerald Pollack, mm -hmm. uh, just in this fourth phase of water, mm. it's freaking incredible, dude. Mm. And I've had a structuring unit on my house mm -hmm. for this purpose. Mm. It just structures all the incoming water mm -hmm. because the health benefits you get uh, when this water is passing through this glass, it's essentially a vortex with a series of glass balls that causes the water to pass through in this particular pattern that gives the water this memory and this this, these different characteristics that have a different impact on your health if you drink it, on livestock mm -hmm. if you give it to animals, on <clears throat> crops if you use it to water a farm or mm. a garden. And they've actually done side-by-side -side studies using the same water, mm -hmm. one that's passing through a structuring unit, so it's mm. structured water, and one that's not. And it's freaking incredible, dude. Mm. I could send you some of the research. I love that. Just because... You don't have a placebo mm. when it comes to plants. Mm -hmm. And you don't have a placebo when it comes to cattle mm -hmm. or livestock. Yeah. They don't know what you're giving them. Yeah. So these are really pure studies where there's not this big variable that we have to consider with humans, where humans will think like, oh, I'm getting something better, and it can actually cause a big difference mm. in the outcomes. That's mm. not the same if you're watering some tomatoes mm. or if you're giving it to a, you know, a chicken or something. Yeah. So it's it's absolutely incredible, man. And, and just for the production that you're doing, this would 
I think really take it up a notch. I agree. I, yeah. I think that we we should definitely talk about that on the yeah. side, and you know, I would love to look into where we can get some of these yeah. to experiment I a, with. I have yeah. a really good uh, supplier mm -hmm. for structuring units. Mm -hmm. Totally legit. They also infuse it with different minerals mm, that imprint energy into the water. Love which, it. Getting a little bit more into the woo-woo stuff, but I mean, hey, I'm with you, man. Here. We're already looking here. into all yeah. of these different things, so it'd be good to understand. Yeah, they incorporate shungite and different minerals nice. that can really help to energize the water mm. in addition to structuring. So I mean, it's dude, it's it's Let's legit, talk. and and it would be epic for this because the thing about structuring units, and this is for anyone listening to, is it's not like a water filtration system. You're not mm. pulling anything out of the water, not mm -hmm. adding anything to the water. So water filters, like I have a catalytic carbon filtration system, whole house filter at my house. I have to replace that filter medium every so often. Yep. It only has so much filtration capacity until you have to replace the filter cartridge. Absolutely. Structuring units will last a lifetime, mm, hundreds of years. There's nothing you need to replace. Yep. So it's a really incredible for a business model, and that's a one-time investment mm -hmm. that'll yield outsized returns mm. for many, many decades to come. Sign me up. Yeah, so yep. it, it'd be really epic to do that. Dude. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and I also have some other ideas I'd love to bounce cool. off you. Well, as maybe far we'll as, sign you up on the advisory yeah. board. <laughs> as you're incorporating these beverages, I got some ideas of some unique um, uh, nutrients and some unique formulas I think would be epic as like caffeine alternatives love and it. as um, things that can help with you know dehydration or hangovers sure. you know, and be marketed towards certain demographics that want to be healthy, but also like a little pep in their step and don't want to be Absolutely. down in a bunch of espressos or maybe do go out and celebrate with uh, a few glasses of wine or something and mm. want something that can offset some of that damage. Yeah. So uh, there's some other things that I've seen kind of early pioneers starting to tinker with mm -hmm. that I think you would be just the the first one in the space out in this part of the world. That'd be awesome. That yeah, we're actually looking for things like this right now because the next, you know, the innovation that we're going to be doing and the expansion of the lines will be optimized flavored waters yeah and so having these uh these yeah like an entropic blend yeah and having one that's exactly. like there's a compound i've been tinkering with that's mm. really fascinating called perizanthine mm. and it's one of the uh, metabolites mm. of caffeine nice. so when you ingest caffeine through mm. coffee or tea it goes to the liver and creates three new three metabolites are created one of those primary ones is called perizanthine so okay. it's a completely natural molecule mm -hmm. in any compound that you ingest that has caffeine but it doesn't provide, it doesn't um, give people the same like jittery, anxiety inducing type of effects that caffeine can. It's much less harsh as far as a stimulant. Nice. But it gives you this amazing energy, this amazing mental clarity, confidence. You just feel fantastic, bro. And uh, it also doesn't fuck up your sleep. Awesome. So you can have this at 5, 6 p.m. Wow. and sleep like a champ. Amazing. Your sleep is amazing. And yeah. so it's a really cool alternative to caffeine that's like, I only know one company in the States that just rolled out their like clean energy drink that contains this Beautiful. stuff and they're crushing it, dude. Okay. Tons of good feedback. They're selling out entire inventory of uh, like, they can't produce it fast enough. Love it. And so bringing something like that to, to what you're doing here with this Bali rainwater, with the structuring unit and everything. I'm telling you, man, advisory board. Level. Yeah. Maybe next level. Definitely. Yeah. So we'll have to talk more about some ideas yeah. there. So back to the business. Yeah. We're, we're on a mission right now to just keep scaling. Uh, and Beautiful. We, we're, we're working on that right now and it's, it's going well. So it's, a, it's an exciting year for us. And towards the end of the year, we'll be securing some land nice. for our next facility, our, our production facility that would be a, a destination factory or production facility. I don't like for you, touring and stuff? For touring, yeah, for education and touring and for people to come and really you know, experience what we're going to be doing firsthand. So I uh, love it, man. Yeah. Uh, this is hitting so many epic pillars of just better water for people. Yeah. 
but also really helping the island yeah. of this beautiful island of Bali yeah. Yeah. that uh, we were talking just before this, how there's a water crisis, mm. you know, mm. and I'm sure you could speak on that, yeah. you know, in just terms of like how so many people have fled to this island mm -hmm. for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. It's freaking paradise. Sure. You know, you got yeah. epic surf, you got amazing yeah. food, you mm -hmm. got incredible climate, mm -hmm. but <clears throat> they're draining a lot of these non-renewable resources mm. from the island yeah. and stripping it yeah. of, of things like well water and things like that you need to you need to figure out a way to solve these problems before they really become a problem because sure. then at that point it's too late yeah so during that process with my dad i started to get into health but also permaculture mm. and permaculture is is really why we i'm doing what i'm doing right now mm -hmm. uh with with regard to the, the rainwater business it is really about regenerative practices right you know permaculture is not just about gardening and and creating organic systems in the garden and compost and all this type of stuff. It really is a philosophy of how you can look at uh, life in a regenerative way. That's right? it. That's and it. so, you know, mimicking nature uh, and, and helping it do what it do, does best uh, with human intervention, not really getting in the way, but helping support nature and, and improve what it already does mm -hmm. uh, is kind of the, the theory. And so permaculture has 12 different principles. I won't go through all of them. But one of them is use sustainable resources. Of course, yeah. duh, right? So yeah. rainwater is one of those. And a renewable resources, excuse me. And rainwater is one of those in that, you know, um, it's a free resource that comes from the sky. It's, a, it's beautiful water. Um, and it's, uh, it's pretty funny to think about, not funny, but scary, that a tropical island like Bali that has tons of rain. Yeah. When, you, when you see it rain, it rains. It rains. Yeah, and right. not, no shortage of it. Exactly. And it floods. You yeah. know? And so yeah. the... What's happened over the years with Bali? Bali used to be covered with a lot of rice fields and a lot of fertile land. Yep. But over the years, you know, the, the concrete jungle started to set in. Yeah. You know, a lot of hotels, a lot of development, Industry. which I don't yeah. like to hate on any of that because I do enjoy it. And I love, I love being in Bali and it's got such great options and, mm -hmm. and variety. But unfortunately, a lot of that, um, you know, the areas in which, you know, the aquifer used to be recharged because it would be like a sponge and absorb all that great water and over years slowly make its way through the substrate of the earth and drip into the underground caverns which is called the aquifer yep right so that takes a while and if the rate at which it's raining and absorbing and dripping is is less than the extraction rate you've got a problem yeah you got right a so yeah. especially in a in an area or a region where uh, regulations are not maybe enforced like they could be in, in some countries. Sure. So you have a well, well boring uh, and drilling and extraction going on where it's unlicensed or people might have, you know, one license and they mm -hmm. make multiple holes. So you can imagine the island is like Swiss cheese and everybody's drilling holes and sucking up what they need. Um, and and it's, uh, it's, really, um, it's really a problem because the, the rivers are starting to, to dry up as well. Um, the rainfall is less, um, less uh, consistent over the year, and it happens in shorter periods of time in heavier doses. Mm -hmm. So when it rains during the dry season, it's really wet and dry, but a lot of that water rushes to the ocean. Yeah. That's why we flush all that plastic out that you see in the ocean a lot of times. Yep. So really what we need to do is we need to catch more rainwater. Yeah. And so by doing that, you know, one way to help and have an impact is just quite simple. The more rainwater collected and used for various purposes, the less you need to extract. Yeah. That's one way. And then, of course, through time, over time, we hopefully we can um, work with the, the governments and the, and the leaders of the communities to, 
to regulate things better. But until then, it's just you know kind of doing your best uh, to to work with groups of people that are receptive and willing to to adopt these practices. So yeah. what we do as a as a business, we also have a foundation uh, called uh, Yayasan Semesta Bhakti Mandiri, and its mission. And we've just finished our first impact project. Its mission is to build rainwater harvesting systems for the driest communities in Bali. Mm. And so we've just finished one here in the Bukit where it's quite dry at the Bali Life Foundation. And that's an orphanage for about 60 plus local children. Wow. And really that, that's the first of many to come. It's, uh, it's not huge, but it's not small. And it provides the, the orphanage's uh, drinking water needs year round. Okay, wow. So they don't have to year round buy water that was coming from the ground somewhere and they can just use rainwater uh, that is always being uh, recharged right there on site. But our, our plan is to, to ta tackle larger um, you know, initiatives up in the mountains where it's super dry yeah. and people have to walk you know, 30 minutes to an hour to get any type of water on a daily basis from, wow. from wells and things like this. And there's certain areas that really don't get any rain um, you know, during the rainy season even. So we, we aim to, to build massive systems and really help uh, hopefully, communities be uh, uh, sustainable uh, through through rainwater. That's incredible, man. Yep. And this whole concept <clears throat> of regenerative farming is mm. just so key. I, I got to turn you on to this guy in the states who's doing this at a large level. Nice, named Jordan Rubin. Okay, and he's he owns one of like the top ten biggest regenerative farms. This guy's doing things right. Mm. And and the whole concept for people that aren't familiar with this is just making the land better than when you started yep at a very fundamental level it's about adding more topsoil it's about creating more diversity it's about enhancing the natural ecosystem in that area mm. and unfortunately most of the farming practices we have now do the exact opposite it strips the land of these resources it depletes the soil it it just robs it dry and there's a way to do things that is more fruitful mm. for the outcomes of the mm. farmer mm. you know in terms of their yields and the things that they're getting out of it to make a living mm but also is giving back to the land mm. and providing this in, immense benefit to the soil and everything that's involved with that. Absolutely. Yeah. And the nutrition yeah. right? for us through the plants. It really makes a huge difference. Man. Yeah. So yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. Love that you're doing that. Awesome. Thanks, man. Yeah. And so a um, couple other things, man, as, as we wrap up, I love what you've built here. And, you know, what, what could people do to support the mission? Do you, you, you mentioned this foundation. Is this like a nonprofit people yeah, could donate to to, sure. to build the, more of these facilities out? Yeah, actually, it's in the beginning stages of the foundation. So our website is not even fully developed, and all that will be coming to life here in the next uh, couple months. And, yeah, there will definitely be an opportunity to donate, um, mm -hmm. and we will, you know, obviously show people everything that we're doing. Soon you'll, you'll have the, you know, the ability to see the project that we've actually just finished. But um, through, uh, through purchasing our products as well, uh, we, we give you know a percentage of our, our profits to the, the foundation as well. So awesome. And are yeah. those all local? Do you, do you out export any of your products? So we started exporting uh, in the beginning of the, the pandemic mm -hmm. to Singapore. Yeah, and we'd like to do more exporting, um, but right now it's not the priority. Yeah. Indonesia is the priority, uh, and there's a lot of business to be done here. Sure. Uh, eventually, we will uh, open up an international sales department and, and do a lot of exporting. Um, but okay. right now. It's uh, yeah, we've got a lot of uh, a lot of great business to do here locally, and, and that's where we kind of really get the most pleasure, I would say, to to help the the local people uh, drink less sugar. Uh, one of our products is called Sour Bucha. 
and we are the sour guys. Okay, so we, we make it known uh -huh. when you go to a store, you're going to see sour butcher. And why, why does it say sour butcher? Because we don't want anybody that likes sweet things to be fooled. Okay, sure. when you get our product, you're, you're told prior to getting it that yeah. this is going to be sour yeah. because it's sugar free. Yep. Okay, and a lot of Indonesian people, this is a misconception, a lot of Indonesian people love sour drinks more than you would think. Most people think that they only love sweet things. And it is true that Indonesian you know, people in general and also the Americans, the humans, yeah. they all love sweet drinks and yep. you know, more sugar than, than they should drink. But mm -hmm. um, a lot of people do like sour things. So yeah. Amazing. And have you tinkered around with actually adding uh, like a monk fruit or a natural mm -hmm. sweetener to some of these beverages to cater to both? Yeah taste bud demographics sure. you know people that because i'm a sour guy yeah. i add lemon and lime to freaking everything bro. Nice, like nice. I, I plow through some sour citrus yeah but uh, uh i know a lot of people out there don't feel the same sure. you know they like a nice sweet mm. uh cold beverage mm. so have you have you done any like formulations with some sweeteners absolutely we we've used stevia in the past okay um and obviously with stevia you need to get the right uh formulation because it's, it's got that really strong aftertaste yeah uh, monk fruit is something I'm very much uh, wanting to use, and I'm mm -hmm. still doing some, you know, kind of trials. Okay. Um, but a lot of times they mix monk fruit with with different, uh, you know, kind of xylitol or Sugar erythritol. Exactly. Um, so yeah, looking at what I want to use and and how extreme I want to be with um, what I allow into the drinks, but I'm definitely interested in in using um, alternative sweeteners that are healthy. Yep. Um, and if we can make that uh, that work, um, I think you'll definitely be seeing some sweet products come out that uh, as long as they're healthy and they don't spike your insulin too much. Yeah, yeah. You know? I yeah. could I could work with you on that because you're right. A Would lot, love that. A lot of um, manufacturers mm -hmm. that sell these natural sugar replacements, mm -hmm. they cut the stevia or the monk fruit mm -hmm. with the sugar alcohols like erythritol or like xylitol because stevia and monk fruit mm. just in their pure form are so freaking sweet yeah. they're 200 to 300 times sweeter than sugar yeah so it's really hard to get the formulation right and even then if you're selling a pure thing like that mm. and someone thinks that you know let me add a teaspoon of this to a recipe it's mm. going to be way over the top so mm. that's where they try and cut it to mm. give it a more sugar type of alternative to where it's almost one for one mm -hmm. in a recipe that mm -hmm. calls for half a cup half yep. a cup of sugar you could use half a cup of this yep. But uh, I'm not a huge fan of the sugar alcohols. I think in small amounts, they can mm. be okay for some people. Yeah. But other people get GI upset. Mm. Other pe I just think in large amounts, they're not the best for mm. bloating and gas and yeah. fermentation in the gut. Yeah. Um, so I think that if you can figure out the right recipe in a larger you know, volume of, of you know, beverage, um, you could use a very small amount. And it, it, when you get it right, it's, it's dynamite, dude. If you come across the right supplier, uh, yeah, I, I have, a, I have yeah. the, one of the best suppliers in uh, in the stevia department. Nice. It's a farm, an organic stevia farm down in South America, mm -hmm. that makes some of the most premium stevia that uses an all an all natural a water based extraction instead of some of the enzyme solvents yeah. most companies are using. Yeah. Um, and I know like China is notorious for using these, and the stevia that comes out of there is questionable. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I could definitely get you. Would love in with them. Yeah. And then when it comes to monk fruit, I have another company I really like too. Amazing. I'm, I'm very interested in the monk fruit. Yeah. yeah. And stevia. Yeah. 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 That'd be yeah. great to start tinkering with your, your formulation. For the flavored waters, the, the functional waters, we definitely want to have a hint of sweetness because yeah. the, the idea is one of our, actually one of our investors has children at the green school and he's trying to get his kids off, you know, soda and they've all of a sudden become addicted to our, our sour kombuchas and all this stuff as a nice. health drink. Nice. But they still love soda, soda yeah. pop. And yep. he's basically, we're all trying to figure out 
how we can have a line of sweet, slightly sweet waters that have benefits. Yep. And uh, and they're you know they're healthy. Absolutely, man. Right? So I think there's let's a work huge, together on this. Yeah, there's okay. a huge yeah. demand for this stuff, yeah. man. Because you just look at the market share of Pepsi and mm. these big soda, mm. you know, conglomerates. Absolutely. And people are waking up and realizing, hey, getting 50 grams of refined sugar in a can of soda is killing me, mm. and it's destroying my energy. It's giving me brain fog. It's dis disrupting my microbiome. Yeah. People are waking up to this fact, and so there's a big demand for yeah. companies that are giving healthy alternatives that still give that same flavor profile, which is very doable. Mm. I have a question for you yeah. from a health, uh, health standpoint. Would a drink that has two to three grams of sugar in it still be healthy to you? Yes. Um, that's a very low amount in yeah. the big scheme of things. Yeah. And I, it's hard to give the exact threshold of when, when it's over X number of grams, it's a problem. Mm -hmm. Because everyone's different, right? Mm -hmm. We could go surfing mm -hmm. and we could drink something with 10 or 15 grams of sugar and we're gonna be fine, dude. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. unlikely to spike our blood sugar. Mm -hmm. It's gonna just go towards replenishing our glycogen because yep. we just exercised. We're metabolically healthy guys. Like mm -hmm. we don't have insulin resistance or diabetes or anything like that. Yep. So what's good for us or what we can tolerate mm -hmm. without you know, deterring from our health status mm -hmm. is different than someone who's overweight, sits at a desk mm -hmm. all day, is already has metabolic mm -hmm. syndrome. Mm -hmm. They can tolerate much less. Mm -hmm. So that's where it becomes a more nuanced thing, but for anyone, two, three grams, mm -hmm. it's nothing, dude. Mm -hmm. it's, it's highly unlikely to cause mm -hmm. an issue, mm -hmm. um, especially depending on, you know, how, I mean, it depends too how many they're drinking. Yeah. If they have 10 of these, it's a little different, you know? But, yeah. but for the most for part, For me, I, think, I want the, like, the sugar-free one, but yeah, I, yeah, I think no, I'm But like, even a couple grams, yeah. dude, is not a, not a lot. Okay. That's a very small amount in mm. the big scheme of things. Okay. And vast majority of people would do just fine with that. Yeah. I would, I would feel really good recommending a beverage that oh, has cool. a few grams of sugar. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, man. But as we wrap things up, dude, I think an interesting topic to dive into um, would just be some, you know, if you could distill a few of the big lessons mm. you learned from your dad. Mm. Because not only was he this successful entrepreneur, mm. he was also really big into the personal development mindset space. And then I'm sure you've gleaned some lessons as you witnessed him go through this health journey mm. and, and witness him get sick and... Mm develop this illness and, and go through that process. So I'm curious, like, whether it's something he taught you or it's maybe something that you just learned by witnessing mm. his life. Yeah, thanks for, for saying that. It makes me, you know, it's always nice to go back and think about him. Um, he was a, a special man that, um, that you know, he, he was a personal development facilitator that mm. helped people break through their limiting beliefs and um, and, and do all kinds of other great work uh, within the trauma and, and kind of relationships um, and uh, you know, self-discovery. But personally, my experience, you know, I'll, I'll never forget a time when you know, he was on the, the, in the later stages of his disease and we were, you know, I, would, I would take him golfing. He was a golfer. Okay. And he taught me golf. And that was a thing that we loved to do together. Um, and when he was unable to play golf, um, I would take him out on the, in the golf cart and literally like be his seatbelt because he was so, his autonomic system was not working and he could, he could, he would freeze up and like you t turn the cart, mm -hmm. he might fall out of the cart. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so I'd take him out there. He could at least enjoy the golf course and see me playing golf. And then I'd take him to the clubhouse and get him some French fries because that made him happy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. At that stage, it was like whatever made him feel good. Yep. Yep. But he could barely talk uh, and not, sometimes not even talk. Right. And he was a speaker. Uh, you know, for his, for, his, for his entire life, right? Yeah. So that was very difficult. Um, but, you know, I remember him stuttering and saying, Matt, you know, I worked hard all my life to make enough money so I could retire 
and play golf with you. Yeah. You know, and look at me now. Yeah. And you know, I get goosebumps just you know thinking about that. But it was it was a, just a moment I'll never forget. And it was it was just like all about, you know, everything starts now. Yeah. Right. You don't wait until the future. You know, wait until you have enough or until you've done all the things you want to do to start being healthy or to start doing what you want to do. And so that was one of the things that just through that experience I, I realized more than ever. But also one of the things that, you know, I'll always for, uh, you know, remember is, is be, do, have, right? It's not, no, no other order than be, do, have, right? Mm -hmm. You can't have what you want by, you know, by not being what you, what you need to be first, right? Totally. So it all starts with being what you need to be, doing what you need to do by being what you need to be, and then you will have everything, right? That's and it. so he was, a, he was a great man, and he touched a lot of lives, and when he died, that was very apparent. You know, all of the, the different uh, colleagues and students that he taught all came out and hosted memorials throughout Southeast Asia, and books wow. were written about him. Wow. So he still lives on. I, I pray to him every day. I talk to him every day, and he's, uh, he's my inspiration, man. That's yeah. incredible, brother. Yeah, thank you. Well, thanks for your time today, man. This was a great chat. Appreciate and it, bro. I look forward to, uh, to some collaborations, man. I'd love to uh, help you out with Much this love. thing you're building. Yeah. And I know we talked to you about how as you expand your operations, you are potentially bringing on some investors and strategic Absolutely. partners. And I already shared with you, yep. when that time comes, sure, you give me a call. Yeah, it's and all I'd happening to, right now. I'd love so. to support yeah. the mission. Thanks a lot, Brian. Ryan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Yeah, cool. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. If you found it helpful, please share it along to anyone else you believe it can serve. You can submit your own question to be answered on the show by going to ryankennedyhealth.com forward slash podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review for the show. Your feedback helps to support me on my mission to positively impact as many people as possible with this information. Please note the information depicted in this episode is purely for informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional before making any changes to your lifestyle or routine.